Welcome to the Ohio Ministry Network podcast. The following audio was recorded at the 2014 Forum. For more information, please visit ohioministry.net. So let me kind of introduce myself and then we'll go uh, through the material and I'm hoping to have time at the end to kind of open it up for discussion a little bit. My name is Steph Politis. Uh, I know that I look remarkably young, but I believe it or not have, I was counting the other day, 18 years of ministry experience, which for some of the faces in here, you guys are like 18. I've got that doubled. Uh, But I graduated from high school and joined a ministry program, kind of like Master's Commission, but a little bit different, where we traveled to churches all over the U.S., mostly in uh, Illinois, Louisiana-type area, and we'd spend a month at each different church doing whatever they needed. So there was like two years of seeing every kind of church on the planet. And then from there, I joined a church as the children's pastor, the children's intern, that was a church of around uh, 800. And then we planted a church. And so then I moved as the children's pastor for the church plant. And then that church grew to about 1,500. And then Matt and I, hi, come on in. Then Matt and I moved to uh, Springfield, Missouri, where we worked in a couple different churches in a volunteer capacity in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, in in a whole bunch of different areas. And then we moved here to Ohio about a year and a half ago, and I've been working uh, with the volunteers in a church plant. And so I feel like my experience with the church is kind of all over the board, but I feel like that's been a great blessing to me because I've been able to see ministry from so many different angles. Because I remember being, you know, all wise of 19 and being a children's intern and thinking, why won't people help me out? Don't they understand how important this ministry is? And then you get a little life under you, and you have things like kids and jobs, and you kind of realize that perspective changes a little bit. And so I feel like I have a much better, more well-rounded uh, perspective of volunteers and even just church ministry than I did you know, when I first started as a young kid. So uh, when Matt came up with a title, I kind of joked, and I'm like, did you just pick like two things nobody else was talking about and said, hey, let's sh- you can talk about those things. You talk about small groups and volunteer care. See if you can work it together. But believe it or not, that is not how the topic came together. It's actually two topics that I feel like should be one topic. And so I kind of am going to marry those together today. So if you came because you are the small groups pastor in your church, you're going to hear a little bit about that. If you came because you wish your church had 700 million volunteers, you're going to hear a little bit about that too. And then we're going to talk about how to marry those two together in a super effective, what I believe is a super effective way. All right. So let's go around the room real quick so I kind of know my audience and tell me who you are, where you're from, and what kind of ministry you're in, whether you're a senior pastor or an associate pastor or a volunteer coordinator or what you're doing. Okay? We'll just start here. Great. Fantastic. Fantastic. Good. John Musgrave, Church Development Director, one man, and pastor at Lifehouse Worship Center. Keith Wilson, Associate Pastor at Lima First, and so um, part of my portfolio is with um, small groups and um, and all of our scheduling of all of our volunteers, which is a lot. Um, so I wanted to come to help develop that. Work on our 
is on small groups. Um, that was our, our number one discipleship program. Um, and it's not up to par right now. We're working on that. Great. Good. Well, great. Get something good. Take it home. Well, great. Great. Let's start with we're talking about small groups for a little bit. Uh, small groups have become super cool in the last probably 18, 20 years. I remember when I start when we started the church plant. That was when all of a sudden it became like the thing to do. When we had started, when I was back at the at the main church where I was the internet, our church had no small groups. It wasn't even a thing that you would do. And then as we started this church plant in the city, all of a sudden it became kind of one of those hot topics. And so we started small groups. And so my, I have always been in a small group since they first kind of got going and really recognizing the value of them. Since Matt and I have been married, we have hosted and led and attended. It seems like small groups are really kind of part of what we've always been involved in. And we really feel, I mean, I feel in my very heart that there is ministry that happens in a small group that almost cannot happen in church setting because it's when you pull people out of church and say, you're in my home, you're maybe eating my food, please be comfortable that people begin to open up and be themselves. Uh, Matt and I have always believed that our home is our ministry place, and so we frequently have people in our home eating meals with us, and we feel like we see people in ways that we've never seen them before when we just put food in front of them and basically say, let your kids go play in our backyard and sit here and talk to us for a little bit. And that can only happen outside of the church walls. Because when we step inside the church walls, I feel like we all put on our church selves and we be who we feel like we're supposed to be. But when we step out of that, that's when we kind of have to decide, okay, who do they think I should be? Or who do I feel like I should represent myself as outside of church staff or church mat? And you all of a sudden see people, a new side of them. Maybe not a more genuine side at first, but it forces them to at least realize like, okay, I have to determine sitting across the table from you who I'm going to represent myself as. And so it opens people up. Now, small groups have been around for a million years. They just recently got cool. I am a product of a 1980s small group. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she was, they went to a church because it was the right thing to do. My dad was involved in the community, and so they knew they needed to be involved in a church. And she went to a mom's Bible study because she wanted to get connected to other moms and maybe get a little free time from her perfect children, I'm sure. I mean, I can't imagine why. But she went to this small group, this ladies' Bible study, and at that Bible study, she got saved, and they taught her the practicality things that you need to do to build your relationship with Christ. And so through those teachings that they taught her in that Bible study, my whole family came to Christ. My dad got saved, uh, me and the girl, me and my sisters got saved. And so it was one of these things that small groups have been in existence forever. People getting together outside of just basic church time and saying, hey, 
let's connect as people. Let's get to know one another. I feel like women maybe have the edge on that because even outside of the church world, we have moms groups going on and book clubs and wine tasting clubs. Ladies understand that need to connect. And life groups really in the church is the first way of the church saying, hey, as families, as communities, we need to connect outside the church. And so that's when small groups really got to become so important. Um, now, we have seen small groups run in a variety of different ways. Uh, back when we first started small groups in our church plant, we did them regionally. We did, you know, we were in Peoria, Illinois, which is kind of a, a laid out city that has all these different communities around it. And so we did a Dunlap group and a Peoria group and a North Peoria group and an East Peoria group. And so we based it on location worked great. People didn't want to travel all the way into, our church was right in the middle of the city, and people would say, well, in the middle of the week, we don't want to come all the way into the city. So they could meet then a different time of the week in their own areas. Worked great. When we went to a Central Assembly in Springfield, Missouri, the first time I opened up their packet, I started laughing because they have a packet about this big of all their small groups, which is amazing. But I started to read through the small groups, and at first I thought it was bizarre. They have the knitting small group. They have the used to live in Illinois small group. Not even kidding about that. They have we like to be on the river small group. And I started laughing. I'm like, that is so bizarre. But then the more I thought about it and the more Matt and I got involved, we realized that while regions work great because people have a personality around where they live, they also have a personality about things that interest them. And so why do we have to make it that small group is based on where you live? Why don't we make it based on that common interest of, hey, you guys are all moms or you guys are all working at a certain time of day and so you need to have a nighttime or a morning time group or you guys are all uh, really enjoy going out to Bob Evans for breakfast. Why not do a Bob Evans small group? What does it matter? You know, do something that is going to connect people where they're at. That is really the key to small groups, that people can get together with a group of other people that they will open themselves up more than they would to just when they're walking in the church doors. That is the key to small groups. Find people connected in ways that it will be effective for them so that they can really be who they are at their very core. Because when people are transparent in themselves, that's when you can just really get in there and show God to them. So I think small groups are just the way to do ministry. Matt and I, even when uh, we have not been official small group leaders, we've always been tried to be real intentional about running a small group in our home. And I consider a small group anytime you have someone else over for dinner. It's small, there's a group of you, especially with when your kids come, then there's a pretty much bigger group of you. But anytime you can connect, it's a small group. Now, there are tons of books and studies out there about the appropriate size for groups, whether it's 10 families or six families or five families. I gotta be honest with you, I have been in all sizes. I've been in small groups that were two couples. I've been in small groups that were uh, before we had kids so we could have room in our house where it was 12 newly married couples. I have found that the size is not necessarily what matters. It's the atmosphere in the group. And you need to make sure that as you're finding group leaders, that you have group leaders that can read that sort of thing, that can say, you know what? We do great with the bigger group. Like when we were young couples, I don't know why, but it, maybe it was just the crew that we had. It seemed like the more young couples that we brought in, the more everyone was willing to be themselves. They just kind of opened up. And so the bigger groups worked great for them. Matt and I did a small group this past fall that was or spring that was a regional small group in our area. And what we found was we started with uh, five couples and we had a hard time finding a click. 
it just seemed not to work. And so when we looked at the couples and kind of tried to start isolating them and saying, okay, we're going to meet with this couple a different time, just Matt and I, and this couple a different time, we found that really the couples that we had pulled in this group were all relatively shy. And so when you were with them one-on-one -on -one or even one-on-two -on -two couples, they were great, they'd open up, but the five was too big. So it just depends on the mix of people, and your key is defining a leader who can look at that mix of people and really decide what's going to be effective, where people can walk in and feel their most self and open up. And that's what makes small groups work. Now I want to switch for one second and start talking about volunteer care. And just give me a minute, I promise I'll pull these two together in just a minute so it doesn't feel quite so random. Back when I worked at the church plant, uh, the thing to do, and some of you guys will remember this, and maybe it was just in Illinois, but I bet it wasn't. But back about you know, 15, 16 years ago, if you were a mid-sized church and you had a little extra cash to throw around, the thing to do was to send your employees to the Willow Creek Conference. Remember when Willow Creek was really the church happening? Well, I worked at a mid-sized church with a little extra cash to throw around, so guess where I got sent? I got sent to the Willow Creek Kids Conference, and it was amazing. And I will tell you that I walked away learning one of the most important truths that from that point, for I, that point in my life forward I carried with me. And sadly, it had nothing to do with kids. So bummer for my church, hooray for everybody else. Because the one thing that I learned about Willow Creek was the way that they treated their volunteers. And what that was is I realized that Willow Creek had a completely different mindset on how they treated volunteers. Uh, some of you said that your job is to make sure that your volunteers are covered throughout your church. And so you kind of end up, and this is a terrible term, but you kind of end up being a spot filler. You've got to make sure that there's no open spots on a Sunday morning, that the nursery has the three volunteers or the four volunteers that they need, that there's enough ushers to cover every aisle, that when you're doing outreach, that nobody is walking into the projects by themselves. You know, you need to have enough people in all those spots. And for as much as we want... Uh, to say that you know everything we do in ministry is so spiritual sometimes it just feels like spot filling like we just need a bunch of warm bodies and I mean even warm is kind of questionable like even lukewarm or kind of cool we're willing to go with it because we just need spots to fill and the thing I learned from volunteer about from Willow Creek about volunteers is that uh, the way you view your volunteers is really key to how you maintain and how you keep your volunteers I think that if you could look at a church that had volunteers for uh, over even three years, kept the same volunteers in their church for over three years, and really look at how they treat those people, that if we could take what they're doing and apply it across the board, that we would have churches full of people, not just full of volunteers, but full of new converts, full of people that are excited about coming to church, because those volunteers are key to who your church is in the community. So I'm going to give you three principles that I've kind of come up with that uh, part of it's coming from Willow Creek and part of it's coming from my time in uh, volunteer ministry as well as in full-time ministry myself about how we need to view our volunteers. So these are like the big three, guys, and they're going to sound super life-changing. So you're totally going to want to write them down, maybe even tattoo them on your arm. Uh, the first one is, okay, hang on, guys. Here we go. Ready? Your volunteers are church members. Do we all get that? I know. You're thinking, I am so not tattooing that. That is not that great. But I think we forget, as pastors, we put on our two hats. We are pastor, where we minister to our congregation, and then we are administrator, where we fill spots at the church. 
And what happens is when we switch those hats and when we say, okay, at this point I'm looking to fill the nursery schedule and make sure that we don't have babies by themselves, we take off our church pastor hat and we put on our spot filler hat. And we forget that these people that are working for us, they're not people, they're church members. In the same way that as a pastor, what is our goal for our church body? We want to see these people grow and come to know Christ and have deep relationships with God and with one another. So why is it that when we're looking to fill spots, we take that off and we say, that is important, but really on this Sunday, we just need some bodies in the nursery. I'm not so concerned about people being ministered to, because you know what, they can do that the other three weeks of the, the three weeks of the month. But on this Sunday, they're here to serve the church. Why are those things exclusive? I, don't, I think those things need to be the same. I think when we look at our volunteers, we need to realize that a volunteer is not them paying you back for what you've given them in ministry three weeks of the month. Volunteering is an equal partnership. And what that means is you're both giving something. They're giving you some moments of service, and at the same time, not the next weeks when they're not serving, but at the same time, you need to be offering them some sort of ministry that is enriching their life. My husband, when he was doing his degree, he had to write a paper on whether there was truly the concept of people really uh, giving themselves just to give. And Matt and I are opposites in so many ways. He's tall blonde. I'm short brunette. He's funny, fun to be around communications guy. I'm a bean counter accountant. Like, we're opposites. And when it came to this conversation, we were talking about it, and he just firmly believes. He's like, nope, pretty much the huge majority of the world is only out for something for themselves. Very few people are willing to give. And I'm like, you're kidding me. That's not true. Everybody, you know, people are genuinely good on the inside. And so we had this long debate. And we ended up kind of coming to, I'm not going to say the middle, but more like this, <laughs> where I did realize that there comes a place that everybody, even if it's just a good feeling on side, you're doing something because you want something in return. And while we would love for our volunteers to be the kind of people that are like, I will do this, I will burp this baby until the day I die, and burp this baby's grandkids and great-grandkids, the truth of the matter is, is they're hoping to get something in return. And sometimes that's the accomplishment of just having served the church. But as ministers, aren't we really responsible for making sure that even when they're in the nursery, that they're growing in their faith, that they're enriching their relationship with God and to one another? That is our responsibility because they're not just people that are filling holes. There are church members that we are spiritually responsible for. And I don't believe that God says, oh, it's all right. It was their Sunday that they were serving. You can be spiritually responsible for them the other three weeks because everybody's got to serve. Okay? I don't believe so. So the first volunteer tr truth is that volunteers are church members. Okay, number two, and again, it's another really intense one. Volunteers are not your staff members. If you're confused by this, you should pull up your church books and see where you're writing them a check for the service that they're doing. If you can't find a check in their name, that means you're not paying them. And I know that this seems obvious, but I think what we need to realize, and this is what I never realized until I was on the other side of this, till I was the one who was working 40 hours a week and then getting the call from the church, hey, can you help a little bit extra here? Can you do a little bit extra there? Guys, our job is to create church members that have healthy lives and healthy boundaries. 
And every spot filler loves the person with no boundaries because they can't say no. And they're like a gold mine. You're calling them and you're like, I need you to come and work the parking lot in like 15 minutes. You can be there, right? And they can't say no, so they're like, yes. And they're like putting down their breakfast and getting dressed real quick. And while that's awesome for the guy who wants to fill a spot, you are not in any way helping that person understand what it is to be a healthy, spiritually strong, emotionally strong person. And you're taking advantage of their inability to set boundaries in their lives. You are not paying your volunteers. And so therefore, you cannot say, they said yes. I asked them, they said yes. That is it. That's on them. No, no, no. As the pastor, you're trying to build healthy people. And if you would not say, you know, say yes to your request because you know that that wouldn't be a good boundary in your life, then why in the world are you asking people to do the same thing? Uh, when my husband and I first, before we started dating, I was running an outreach center actually in Peoria, Illinois. And uh, my husband would volunteer for everything, everything. And like, it kind of started to rub me a little bit raw because I kept thinking, you're going to get so involved that you're going to burn out in like two months and then I have 16 spots to fill. And so I finally like confronted him because I'm that kind of person and I said, that's enough, Matt. Like you need to pick the couple things you want to do and be done with it because otherwise when you self-destruct, I have a huge mess to clean up because I have 15 holes to fill. Well, you know, about that time we realized that maybe his motivation was not so much outreach that maybe, you know, we had something else going on there. So he was, but I, I realized at that point that when you feel like, you know, hey, this person is awesome because they will always show up. They'll always be faithful. Everybody's always has a limit. And you as a minister need to love that person enough to realize, I want you as a church member to be here longer and to be healthy enough that, you know what, if that nursery spot doesn't get filled or if I can't find someone to run that outreach team, you as a person are more important to me than that thing. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be growing strong in Christ. I want you to be building positive relationships. And so I'm not going to worry about that open hole as much as I'm going to worry about you, you as a person, and make sure that you are strong and healthy. Now again, staff members are different. You pay your staff to show. They better show on time. You pay your staff to do, usually like the last line of the job description, other duties as assigned. That's their problem. But volunteers, there's no staff line that says other duties as assigned. It's your job as a pastor to love your people enough to say, you've had enough. You can't do anymore. Or to stop and say, why are you this involved? Because we, my friend runs a, uh, they have a, what started as a church plant a number of years ago and is now huge in the Columbus area. And she runs their preschool department. And she told me that she has a lady who uh, had a baby and two weeks later wanted right back on the nursery schedule. And she thought that was odd and she kind of let it go. And then she finally went into her and she said, why are you doing this? Why are you coming back so soon? We will cover your spots. Well, the lady ends up telling her, her marriage is a mess. She's got a total disaster at home, and this nursery was the only place that she felt like she was making a contribution that lasted. Okay, now hang on a second. We have a whole different set of issues here. We're using you, but we're not ministering to the need we didn't even know you had. And so that stopped everything. They, she, they didn't pull her from the nursery because that's where she was feeling used, but they started partnering her with some other people that could help her get her marriage the place that it should be. But it's not until you love your people enough to say, Listen, it's not about filling spots. It's about loving people. 
that you really begin to find out who your volunteers are. All right, now let's talk about the third volunteer truth. The third volunteer truth is, and I think this is so important, is you need to realize that your volunteers are the most dedicated people in your whole church. Now you might be saying to yourself, no, 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 my staff is. No, you're paying them to be there, okay? They're only dedicated, and not that they're not dedicated outside of that, but if you quit paying them, it would be interesting to see how long your staff stuck around. Like, they're going to need to go somewhere to make some money. Your volunteers are the people that are the most dedicated in your entire church. And why is this important to you? I alluded to it a little bit earlier today. Because if you have a strong volunteer base that has been with you for a number of years, they are spreading your name in the community better than anybody else can, better than any billboard you pay to put up or flyer you pay to send out because they love who your church is and they believe in it enough to give some of their time to it. So you need to focus on taking care of your volunteers so they love your church. I kind of look at it like how anybody, but especially pastors, should view their own family. You know, so often you hear of pastors who their family comes in second place to their ministry and you see kids that are a train wreck as they grow up because the pastor has spent so much time in the ministry that they've not focused on their first ministry and that's the people that are closest to them because they figure you're close to me I'll catch you in my free time well free time never comes around it's the exact same way with your volunteers those people are so close to the church that they're seeing the good and the bad so if you say, well, they're, they're committed, I don't need to worry about them, then you know what's happening? They're in their own minds and with their relationship with Christ, mitigating through some of the, the bad parts of the church without you being able to speak to it. That's a dangerous place because if you know a church member sees something that maybe is not the most flattering side of you or of the church or of church politics, you as a pastor want to be able to explain to them, hey, here is spiritually why we made these decisions. Or even to be able to come to them and say, gosh, i got to be honest with you, I really blew it there. I apologize. I've had to repent to God, and I'm repenting to you. But when we kind of ignore our church volunteers and figure, hey, they're committed, so I don't need to worry about them. I just need to do damage control out in the other people that aren't committed. You are missing the most important part of your church, those people that are committed and excited about your mission and vision and willing to give themselves to see that happen. You need to give your best to those people because if they blow up and go out into the community, wow, you can't fix that. You cannot fix that. I uh, kind of joke that when I was a when we were in Springfield, Missouri, most everybody has heard of the huge church there called James River Assembly. Matt and I went to a, a different church, uh, but have, my parents went to James River. Tons of respect. Incredible church. Pastor John is an amazing man. Uh, I went to uh, my hairdresser, who was not a Christian, not a believer at all. And she was asking what we did, and we told her we worked at the national office. And uh, she says, oh, are the Assemblies of God? And I said, yeah. And she <laughs> says, well, you would not believe what I know about Pastor John Lindell's wife. My hairdresser. She doesn't even go to church, but someone had sat in her chair and had a bad volunteer experience and had told her all about it, and here she was telling me all about it. Okay, at this point, we're so many degrees from the truth, who even knows what happened there? But at some point, you need to make sure that those people are closest to you are solid and understand what's happening and are hearing your heart 
Because otherwise, when they blow up and decide they're not going to come anymore, that voice is going to go all over your community. They're the people you really need to care about. Okay, so now, I know we're 35 minutes in. Please, Steph, please marry these two concepts together. I'd be glad to. Thank you for asking me. So the title is Small Groups and Volunteer Care. How can we marry those things together? And this is how I think the most effective way you can do both things at once is. Hang on for it. It's a big one. You need to create small groups in your volunteer areas. Now, let me explain. When we, I, the church plant that we are going to uh, started almost the exact same time that Matt and I moved to Columbus. And uh, we absolutely love the church. It's a great fit uh, for us and for our kids. But it's a church plant. And so as you guys know from church plants, even churches and regular, it takes a while to kind of get systems and structures going, especially when you're talking about kids' areas and greeters. And, you know, there comes a time when you're just really trying to make sure people oh, come on in, that people are filling spots because you, you're never really sure who's going to come on Sundays. And so we had been there a couple months, and I realized that, like, hey, me being a type A bean counter, like things nice and orderly, I should offer some services because it seems like they might need a little bit of help on their scheduling. And scheduling is just something that an accountant can do well because it's all about numbers and getting stuff lined up. And so what I did is I talked to Pastor Kyle and I'm like, Pastor Kyle, here's really my vision for where we need to go with our volunteers. I said, besides just the fact that like, we need to have a schedule. Like, I know that sounds really revolutionary but like working two weeks in a row and then not working for six weeks isn't good for people spiritually because you need to be in service more than you know you not just out two weeks and then in a couple weeks and furthermore it just doesn't work for working people's schedules they need to know when they're coming and he was fine with that he's like great let's plan them once a month that way everybody knows when they're coming and then I kind of took a step further and I said and really I feel like more importantly than that you need to create teams of everything you do that are always together. You need to create small groups in your ministry groups. Now for everybody here, most everybody here, you already have these small groups in your church. You've just never seen them as small groups. So what you need to do is you need to mobilize the small groups that you have going and they can look a million different ways. If you have a parking team, it's the group of men that always go out there and stand in the parking lot. You need to make them a small group. It's your nursery workers. You need to make your nursery teams into small groups. Your greeters, make them small groups. Your welcome desk people, make them small groups. For your teams going out into the neighborhoods, small groups. And what that means is you need to create consistency in the volunteers that you're having there and create the atmosphere of a small group. So what that looks like is first let's, talk, let's put on our... Uh, our spot fill, our hole filling hat and start thinking logistically. What that means is your teams need to be the same people on the same weeks. So at my church, the same six people are greeters the first week of every month. The same six people are in the nursery the first week of every month. Why? Because my nursery team, we're all good friends now. Were we before? No, I didn't know these people. But every month I know I'm going to see those six people. And so we've developed things to talk about. We develop an atmosphere and how we not just run the nursery, but how we enjoy being with one another. And the same thing with our greeter team. I'm with the same greeters every week that I do greeting. And it's great because I've, when you stand there with someone waiting for people to walk in and say hi, you chit-chat. 
Well, if I chit chat with you one month, I'm going to get to know a little bit about you. But if the next month I chit chat with you and I'm asking, hey, how did that go? And they're asking, hey, how did this go? You're developing bonds by doing something the church needed you to do anyways. So you're doing two, killing two birds with one stone. You are filling your holes so the church is getting it done, but you're lending ministry to the people that are standing there doing ministry for you. They're getting ministered to. They're building connections with one another. So again, our first is just logistics. Start building teams that stick together. Now the second thing is, is build smart teams, okay? Don't just build teams, but use wisdom and build smart teams. Every good team, if you want ministry to happen, needs to have a strong spiritual leader. Someone who is grounded in their faith. Someone that you say, gosh, if I could emulate who I wanted my church people to be like, this person is a good example of that. They are strong spiritually. Make sure that you have one of those people in each team and communicate to them that. Say, hey, we're moving towards a small group concept in our greeter ministry. I know that you, know, you have a relationship, God, that I think is awesome, and I can see that you're trying to build that. We're going to place with you some people that might not be where you're at. I want you to look for ways that you can help them become the person that they need to be. Now, you've got to remember, this is still the nursery, or we're still in the parking lot. So I don't need you to have a 15-minute devotional, because when are you going to work that? You need to park the cars, okay? But I want you to live in such a way that if the people on your team emulate how you are living they're going to find themselves closer to Jesus. So the first thing is when you, man it, when you put those teams together, make sure there's a spiritually strong person. Now this one is something you don't necessarily need when you do small groups in homes, but you really need when you're doing small groups and volunteers. <coughs> make sure there's also someone in the group, and sometimes it can be the same person as the spiritually strong one, but sometimes it's not, who is just detail-minded. Because if you have a team of six people running the nursery, you need somebody who knows these are our nursery rules, these are the nursery protocols, I need to make sure that the right kids go with the right parents, like that's pretty crucial, that the diapers get changed at the right time, that everything gets done in the right way. Someone that commu can communicate with you of, hey, these people are going to be gone next month. You're going to need to schedule them with somebody else. You need someone who's kind of more my personality, a little bit more of a bean counter. Now, again, for some people, that can be your spiritually mature person. For other teams, maybe that's not. But to that person as well, you need to communicate, hey, I really need you to help me with the logistics of this team. Let me know, you know, if you're out of snacks for the nursery. Please let me know if the... Uh, parking lot needs more parking spaces. Please let me know if we're running short on coffee every week out in the coffee station. You need a greeter who can be responsible. Now again, in home groups, not quite as important because you're not dealing with the day-to-day -day functioning of the church, but in volunteer ministry, you got to have somebody that's helping you out. So that's how you're going to build your teams. You're going to build it with a spiritually strong person and or somebody that's going to be able to help with the logistics. And then you're going to put around them people that you want to grow to be like this leader. Now, one thing that we've tried to do with our church teams is be a little bit mindful. We have some single moms. That's great. Single moms are fantastic. So we have some single moms that are super grounded in their faith and some that are not. I absolutely feel like anybody can minister to a single mom or to a working dad or to any of these demographics. But I also know that sometimes it's helpful to partner people with similar life 
lifestyles together. And so we do partner some of those people together to make that choice of, hey, you're dealing with some different things than other people. Why don't we place you with people that can help you grow where you're at? So be mindful as you're placing people in these teams. Now again, remember, the key to make this work is your teams have to stay together. So every first of the month or every second of the month or however your rotations work, you're having the same group meet together and you're communicating to the leader and to your logistics person, create an environment where they want to be together. Now you then, as the leaders of these spots that you have filled, of the small group teams that you've filled, you also have a responsibility. And that is what I kind of believe is twofold. First of all, you need to be checking in with your leaders and your spiritual leaders and saying not just, do you have crackers in the nursery? Let me know when you're out of crackers. But you need to be asking, what, how's everybody doing? Are you noticing any people that aren't coming or that are maybe feeling disconnected? Is there anybody that's down or maybe frustrated? But connecting with the leaders to figure out where people at. Also, you need to connect with your leaders and say, hey, I want to know if you have had like a crazy Sunday, if there's something that we need to change, something that's not working right. Uh, a couple weeks ago, our church celebrated, um, gosh, it wasn't, we had our one-year anniversary, but there was something a couple weeks, oh, it was uh, child dedications. On child dedication Sunday, we dedicated 18 new babies, 18. Now, believe it or not, those babies, all, almost every one of them came with uh, like a whole slew of siblings. So our nurseries were packed that day. And I went back there, and it was funny because we had a brand new, brand new volunteer in there, her first Sunday ever. And I walked up to her and I said, oh, I said, please know that this is not how the nursery is. And she starts laughing and she said, yeah, the pastor's wife told me that like 10 minutes ago. Like, <laughs> this is craziness. So as I'm standing here, they're telling her that, like, hang in there. You know, this is not how it usually is. Uh, the team leader for that Sunday walks up, and she goes, I'm so glad you're on my team. Please know, this is not how the nursery usually is. Like, it was crazy packed that day. And so that day I went to, and it was funny because me and the team leader went to our pastor and were like, listen, is there any way you could do, like, $5 Starbucks gift cards for every one of those nursery volunteers because they're all going to need naps this afternoon. They work so hard. Now, that's not something you can do every single time, but when you have volunteers that go way beyond the call of duty, guys, you don't even need to spend money. Sometimes the next Sunday standing up and being like, hey, those of you that were in the nursery last Sunday, dude, it did not go unnoticed. Or when you have that particularly heinous week of snow and somebody comes out and shovels your walk, absolutely you're saying in front of everybody I mean wasn't it nice not to slip on the way in somebody gave their time this week to do that way to go so you don't even need to do hurrahs with money just make a point to hurrah the people that deserve it and mean it like really mean it from your heart and uh, the other thing that I think it's important to do and we try to do um, is some of the jobs in your church you're gonna find this hard to believe they're not fun I know that's Drastic, isn't it? I know. Like, you may not believe this, but if you have like a volunteer cleaning crew, they might not get up on the morning before they come to serve and be like, whoa, church toilets. Like, they might not be pumped at what they do, but at, they are pumped about your church and so they're willing to come do it. That being said, can't you create fun in the middle of the not so much fun stuff? And I kind of feel like that's our responsibility is to create kind of events in the middle of the event that's already happening. 
uh, a couple months ago, what we did is just when we were st first starting with building these teams and trying to get them to enjoy working together, we really thought we need to give them something to do during their time in the nursery that forces the grown-ups to work together, to do more than just make sure the kids are not killing one another. And so we created this challenge where we had them all, uh, each group, each team, so that was each Sunday of the month, uh, took a picture of how many kids they could get to hold hands lined up. Okay, now if you've ever worked with like first through five-year-olds, that is not a one adult job. Really, that's like a 15 adult job. Like, and so they were all scrambling to work together and then they would take a picture and each Sunday we'd post it on Facebook and you'd count to see how many kids. And then the whole motivation was whichever team got the most kids strung up in a row, uh, they then the next month on their time of service got coffee and donuts. Okay, huge win. It totally worked for us and then it built this camaraderie among the teams. But you can do that stuff in anything you're doing. Make little competitions. You know, my husband is a big fan of the uh, gold-plated plunger. Like, we get so excited that we have to offer these big monetary prizes when really the prize of winning for a lot of people is enough. You know, you take a plunger, you spray paint that puppy gold, and you say, hey, we're going to see who can get the shiniest toilets on church cleaning week. And you pass that around to whoever the winner is, and the pride of accomplishment makes cleaning the toilet a lot more fun than cleaning a toilet. So find creative ways to make an event within the event because not only is that going to give them something to do while they're there, but it is going to create this atmosphere, which again, in small groups we're talking about atmosphere, where people will have a good time and be a little bit more themselves and be engaged in what they're doing. So those are kind of my big principles in small groups and volunteer care, that really if you're going to really invest in your volunteers, you have to remember that they are people that you are ministering to. And that when they show up to do ministry to you, it is an equal-sided partnership. They're not coming to work for you. You are investing ministry in them while they invest in your ministry. And those need to be happening at the same time. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to partner them in small groups with people that are working together to build one another up in Christ while they are doing the ministry of your church. Okay, so that is the basics on small groups in volunteer care and small groups and teams. So now I want to hear from you guys. Uh, what do you think? Have you tried some things that work? Have you offered events and events? What were they and how did they work? Let's hear from you guys. Still gets the twenty five dollars. You right. take your folks, um, right? But you know that is that has become kind of anticipatory. Uh, people are wondering who's going to be so it's been kind of fun. Yeah. Um, you know, much of what you're saying seems uh, it falls in. Earlier this year, we we kind of set a mission, a vision for our church, which was we're going to break through our next level of growth through relationships and. Everything you're talking about is really relationally driven. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it's occupationally driven or if it's function driven, that's how people begin disenfranchised, they unappreciated. But if, but if it's relationally driven, that's when they feel valued and needed and esteemed. And uh, so much of what you said was encouraging. You know, along those lines, and this is kind of a 
a sad story about our family, but when we first moved to uh, Springfield, we got connected into a church, and Matt felt instantly connected, and it was great. I, for a year and a half, could not get in. I just felt disconnected. I couldn't, like, I, and I was trying. I mean, you guys can see I am by no means a shy person. Uh, I was connecting, and it just was not happening, and I couldn't, you know, and every Sunday I'd get up and I'd be like, oh. And that was, I've grown up in church, so that's not my personality. There was one Sunday a month I looked forward to, and that was my Sunday in the nursery, because the two ladies that I was in the nursery with knew my name and asked me how I was. That was the only time all month anybody ever knew my name. It's huge. You have to be connected if you want to keep people coming. And getting your volunteers to do that is the easiest way, because they're already committed. Get them to pull each other in. So who else? And I love the idea about once a month, hey, way to go in front of everybody. You know, I, somebody famous, and I don't know who, says the best praise you can give is the praise you give in front of somebody else. So rather than just saying me to you, hey, I think you're great, but I'm going to say to somebody else, hey, I think he's great. You know, that is really heartfelt. That's a really good question. The way that I kind of view it is uh, the people, they, it's, ugh, I'm trying to say this in a way that's not going to be confusing. They really kind of don't know they're in a small group because the only time they meet is when they're there doing their thing. So your guy who loves hospitality, his hospitality small group meets whenever he's doing hospitality at the church with the same three guys. And so if those three guys want to get together and hang out at another time, you could call it a small group meeting, or you could just call it three guys that have got to know each other through hospitality and now go hang out. So you're trying to, the spiritual component of small groups that you have in a home where you're sitting down and doing a Bible study isn't so much happening. The spiritual com element there is most likely not going to be with the Bible in front of us. It's going to be, I'm living for you what salvation looks like. Let, why don't you watch as I live for you what salvation looks like? And in the process, let's build a relationship, and maybe we will go hang out afterwards. That's always my goal is that nursery workers want to go out afterwards and you know have lunch together because that's building that to a whole other stage. But this is really facilitating, just like you said, relationships so that through those relationships they can go deeper, which is why it's so crucial that you make sure when you build those teams that you build someone who's spiritually strong on the team because if you put two people that are spiritually weak together and you're hoping that they emulate one another, they may, and that's not what you were going for. So the small group is really just meeting when they're okay. on assignment. So, anybody else? Yeah. First of all, I apologize for coming late. I got oh, a little lost. We really feel bad for that, so don't <laughs> worry about it. I, I love the model of relationships, small teams within ministry. A lot of what we're doing now, my church basically is a small Good. church, yeah. yeah, ministry model. Break that down. How do you combat ownership? So a team goes in, you know, we're the team every third week in the nursery. We're the, we're the worship team every second. But then they want to own it. And, you know, so they take, yeah, well, or, you know, 
I'll just get practical. You know, we put the brooms in the right corner, <laughs> and Team B puts the brooms in the left corner. They say, you know, you know, no one wants to work in the nursery because, and I mean, it's that petty in my opinion, but how do you make sure Team O does, Team A does it only or, or say it has to be this way? Yeah, you know, uh, gosh, no, you did. I am not an emotional feelings type person at all. I'm just direct and to the point. Um, and so I know that these things absolutely do happen, that people find their area and they get really invested and it's got to be this way. Um, my problem is, is when those happen and it comes to me, I completely lack compassion. Um, I have three kids. You could ask them. The woman has no compassion. Uh, and so what... When I'm dealing like situations like that, I'm straight about, okay, guys, let's all sit down together because I know that the issue here is not about the brooms. It's about what's happening amongst. Let's all sit down together and let's talk about these brooms. Let's talk about why do we feel like they need to be a certain place. And the only reason you're talking about those blasted brooms is because you want somebody to get a little bit worked up and then bring up the real issue. Because there's a real issue underneath the brooms. No one cares where the brooms land. I mean, the only people that do really, I mean, bless their hearts, you know, they're needing to pray through some other issues. So get them talking about the brooms. Pull them all in together. Don't, don't piecemeal it. Don't, I'm going to talk to you about the brooms, and I'm going to talk to you about the brooms, and I'm going to talk to you about the, Just get everybody together. Talk about the brooms. Figure out what everybody else is really cranked about and then come up with a broom solution that everybody feels like they were able to be invested into. Now, I know as church pastors, we don't have time to spend 45 minutes three times a week talking about brooms and diapers and where the parking lot's going to be. You know, we need to just come up with, with some decisions. So at the end of the day, what we're focusing on here is relationships. And so if you host a meeting about the brooms and we really are talking about brooms for 45 minutes, we got a problem here because nobody really cares about the brooms. Make a decision on the brooms. Make sure that everybody understands why the decision about the broom was made. And then make sure everybody's okay. Like, were we really that upset about the brooms or was there something else? Because, again, why we're meeting about brooms is nothing to do with brooms. We want, we're ministering to our spot fillers. We're making sure that they're feeling heard and understood. And then we're solving the issue at hand, making sure that everybody felt understood because that's really our key thing. What is going on? that we're concerned about how it all lands. And can it be, because I think most reasonable people, you're like, do you, do you mind if we put the brooms in the other corner? Most reasonable people are like, oh yeah, I don't care, as long as they're in the same place every time. Great, let's put the brooms in the other corner. Can everybody make sure the brooms all get there from now on? Great, for the most part, people are reasonable. Minister to your people over the issue. And I mean, you're gonna, churches are full of, you know, the not-so-rational people, and so those people you're just going to have to work through. But for the most part, deal with your people. And I promised my husband I would end on time. So I want to pray real quick, and then you're welcome to stay after. But I got, I got a husband to go home to, and so I've got to end on time. So let's pray real quick. God, I just thank you that you are good and that your people and that, that you have put in our church are there for your purpose. And that, Lord, as ministers... Lord, you have given us the responsibility to see them grow and invested in and really come to know you more each day. And Lord, I pray that you would give us holy creativity, that Lord, as we seek truly to minister to our people first, that you will give us creative ways to help all of our volunteers feel love, invested into, and to grow spiritually. Lord, give us just your anointing as we work with our volunteers. And Lord, as we build small groups, help us to build them well and with your holy wisdom. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.